This is the Gifted Podcast. I am the Monday Night Delight. And forgive the lack of cold open because I am in a foul, foul mood. I just finished watching Hell in the Cell. And it is Sunday night. And I don't normally go to record on Sunday nights after a pay-per-view. Because I'm usually exhausted. And I am exhausted, but not in a good way. There's no Nitro tonight on this show. I've seen enough horrible wrestling this week to really need to go back and watch more horrible wrestling. There was a saying about the Monday Night Wars. Monday Nitro would put out good wrestling in the undercard and ruin it with a horrible finish. And people were like, oh, that Nitro was bad. And Raw would put out horrible wrestling in the undercard and amazing main events with Hunter and Sean and Austin and Rock and Mankind and Undertaker and Kane. And people are like, oh, WWF so much better. Why then did WWE forget that? Why then, on Raw, SmackDown, and Hell in the Cell, did they give us bad finishes to the main events? They put bad tastes in our mouth to send us on our way. I don't understand how we got here. How... And I... And we'll get to why in a second. But let's have a history lesson. Since there's no Nitro, let's have a Nitro history lesson. On January the 4th, 1999, Eric Bischoff and WCW made a decision. Have Tony Schiavone reveal that Mankind was winning the WCW title on Monday Night Raw in a pre-tape against their live Kevin Nash versus Goldberg rematch from Starcade. They would also say that Goldberg had been arrested and accused of, a, of aggravated assault by Liz. And if he couldn't get back in time for his match against Kevin Nash, Hulk Hogan volunteered to put it on one more time and take on Kevin Nash. Well, Goldberg would arrive five minutes too late. And Hogan and Nash would go to the ring. Nash would poke Hogan in the chest. Nope, that's wrong. Hogan would poke Nash in the chest. Nash would bump like he never bumped. And Hogan would pin him. Screw the fans because our story is more important. In the past three days, WWE has given us two finger pokes of doom. If you didn't watch SmackDown's debut on Fox, you missed some fun stuff. You missed uh, Kevin Owens and Shane having a ladder match that wasn't super remarkable but had the proper finish. But you missed Kofi and Brock Lesnar going to the ring. Kofi Kingston, our conquering hero, who went 
through the gauntlet match and went to the finals elimination chamber with Brian and had to win his own gauntlet match. Who had to have his buddies win a gauntlet match. He got his match at WrestleMania and he conquered Daniel Bryan. He became the WWE champion and we all celebrated. I sat there with Cody and Ant and Phil and 70,000 people and we all loved it. He's gone since then. He's gone through Samoa Joe and Randy Orton. He uh, he had the match with Seth Rollins. He had these great matches. Never got the main event because the Universal title was more important. That's fine. I get that. You want to put your weight behind that title? We'll get to that in just a second. And then on the debut of Fox, you put him in there against Brock Lesnar. And I knew full well in my heart that Kofi Kingston was going to lose that title to Brock Lesnar. And that was all right because when they went to the ring, they had 11 minutes. And if Kofi Kingston could go 10 and a half glorious minutes with Brock Lesnar, get caught with an F5 and pinned, that'd be all right. That's not what happened. The bell rang, Kofi went at Brock, he got lifted F5'd and pinned in eight seconds. Only one other WWE champion has lost his title that fast. It was Bob Backlund 25 years ago. Bob Backlund was a transitional champion. Kofi Kingston has been our champion for six months. And yet he is thrown at the altar of Brock Lesnar. And I get your idea. I do. I get the idea that Kofi loses to Brock that fast, and we're all in shock. Ray's music hits, and he brings out Kane Velasquez, a huge debut on a huge debut show. I get that idea, but not at the cost of Kofi Kingston. And when he came out, when Kane came out, I was excited. I was like, okay, this is this is a good idea. This is great. I could get down for it. I wasn't happy that Kofi lost, but at least for a good cause. It's Survivor Series or Rumble or Mania. We're going to get this match with Brock and Kane Velasquez. That's going to be awesome. And then I heard the two magic words that turned all of that to saying in my mouth. Saudi Arabia. Blood money. A blood money show that you just had to take the title off of Kofi Kingston for, didn't you? I can't get past that. Your story was so damn important, you had to sacrifice a champion. That meant a lot to a lot of people. Do you understand what you said there? Kofi Kingston was called a B-plus player. He didn't have what it took. And when the chips came down, you decided you were right. I can't get past it. You took away something that meant a lot to a lot of people. And I didn't... Let's talk about the Raw main event. Before we get to Hell in a Cell, because I'll have way more to say about that as well. The Raw main event saw Rusev take on Seth Rollins. And they were having a 
pretty nice match. I knew there was no chance of Rusev winning the Universal title going into the Hell in the Cell match with The Fiend. I knew that. But I was going to watch and see. And maybe Seth Rollins just happens to catch Rusev with a super kick, hits the stomp, no problem. And then Lashley's music hits. That's weird. Lashley saunters out on the stage. He poses. And then he waves to the back. And Lana comes out. Rusev's real-life wife and on-screen manager and love interest comes out. And she's not just standing at Lashley's side. She's not just holding his arm and looking at him lovingly. They kiss. And, alright. Weird. And then they proceed to continue to make out. Lana wraps a leg around Lashley's waist. Lashley has his hands in Lana's hair. They're this close to boning on the ramp during a Universal title match that I don't believe had a finish. As someone who's watching Nitros right now, that was the most Nitro ending to a Raw I've seen in a very long time. But it couldn't compare to the end of the Universal title finish at Hell in a Cell. And let us let me just put this out here. I started Hell in a Cell when it started. And I turned it off pretty quick because I realized I didn't care. I've been saying for a long time there's only two things in WWE I care about. The women's wrestling and The Fiend. And I gotta say, with his increased focus on just the four horsewomen... I've kind of lost my interest in women's wrestling. Becky would beat Sasha in the cell to retain. Great. I get that. Becky's your big star. Continue to build her. I'm fine with that. Charlotte would beat Bailey. Okay. I don't know that I care. But you've killed my interest in it. Apparently I had more interest in Lacey Evans than Sasha Banks. I had more interest in Becky and Natalia than Sasha Banks. I had interest in Bailey and Ember Moon. I had interest in Bailey and Charlotte and Carmella. But you focus on these four women together. It's we it it's never bad, but it's matches we've seen over and over again. You've killed my interest in the women's division. You've also made it clear that you don't care about them anymore by canceling their pay per view. There's no evolution. That you're taking all the men once again to Saudi Arabia for huge paychecks. That doesn't sit well with me either. I didn't watch the rest of Hell in the Cell, but I want to point out that at the beginning of the show, there were only, if I'm not mistaken, four matches on the card. The Fiend and Seth Rollins, Becky and Sasha, Charlotte and Bailey, and a tag team match between the Bludgeon Brothers... And Roman and Brian, they would win that match. And then you just had a blank card. You just stuck in matches there. Randy Orton versus Mustafa Ali. Why? Who cares? 
The Kabuki Warriors, with no buildup and appearing almost out of nowhere, defeat Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross for the tag titles. One of my favorite acts right now is Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. They're fun. They have a friendship. And I swear, if I watch the highlights and Nikki Cross or Alexa Bliss turned on Nikki in this match, I, 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 I don't know how much more that I can stand. The Viking Raiders and Braun Strowman defeated the OC in a six-man tag. Why? Chad Gable defeated King Corbin. Who cares? You fed a bunch of crap into a show for a cage main event. You know when you did that last time? It was December to December 2006. One of the worst pay-per-views you've ever put on. And I'm pretty sure you got real close to matching it here tonight. Because let's talk about the main event. Bray comes down. He's carrying his own head as a lantern again. That's pretty good. They get in the ring. They've only got the red lights on. Fine. I it was. I don't think it added anything to the match for me. Maybe it did for some people. But they did the match. The match went on. And for a while, Seth is or the Fiend is just destroying Seth and no selling weapon shots and super kicks and curb stomps. And it looks like the Fiend's got this in hand. And in about six minutes, it looks like he might be ready to finish off Seth. And then he throws Seth to the outside. And for I don't know, let's see, eleven more minutes. They brawl. And the last four or five minutes is just Seth hitting curb stomp after curb stomp after curb stomp on Bray. And I was okay with that because in my mind, Bray was still getting up a little more and a little more. And Seth would go for a penny, kick out at one. Which, by the way, you hit on that spot with Walter and Tyler Bate at UK TakeOver. And it's great. You're killing it, though, because you've done it the last two pay-per-views. With Braun and now with Bray. You're going to kill a good spot. But then Seth with the outside. He got a chair. And they faked an unprotected chair shot to the head. Which looked awesome. And Bray kicked out at one. Seth got a ladder. He hit the ladder with the, or hit the chair with the ladder. Another brutal looking spot. And Bray kicked out at two. Then Seth put the chair inside the ladder and hit the whole thing with a toolbox but didn't go for the pin he went to the outside and he got a sledgehammer and the ref gets in front of Seth and says Seth don't do this thing about what you're doing you don't want to do this Seth hit Bray and by Bray I mean the huge pile of crap on top of Bray with a sledgehammer and the referee called for the bell A no contest in a hell in the cell match due to too much brutality. Do you remember what hell in the cell matches are for? They're for throwing Mick Foley 16 feet to the ground. They're for kicking Rikishi off the cage into the bed of a truck. They're for Randy Orton twisting a screwdriver into Jeff Hardy's ear. But this weapon shot was too much and the match had to be called off. And fine, okay, Seth conquered the fiend. He killed the monster. It's a bad horror movie, but nonetheless, horror movies do end like that. Sometimes the good guy wins. But then Bray grabs Seth in the mandible claw while the EMTs were checking on him. Do you get that? Bray Wyatt played possum 
to grab Seth the mandible claw. He dragged him to the outside. He sister Abigailed him on the floor. He put the mandible claw on Seth until Seth began to cough up very fake looking blood. So, so either the fiend recovered from the beating or Bray Wyatt played possum so long he lost the universal title. And you may be thinking, Delight, maybe Bray didn't want the title. Maybe he just wanted to hurt Seth Rollins. Then why did he challenge the winner of Seth and Braun to this match? Because he didn't want Seth Rollins if Seth Rollins wasn't the universal title holder. He wa- he would have wanted Braun if Braun had won at Night of Champions. But no, he wanted Seth with the title. So clearly, The Fiend wanted the title. But he didn't want it enough to not lay there and get the match called off. But he wanted to hurt Seth enough that once all was said and done, he destroyed Seth on the outside. He had this ability the whole time and didn't do it. He played possum until it was too late. So what they were trying to do was not give Bray the title, but make sure Bray looked strong. You didn't do it. You made Bray look stupid. You made Seth look weak. You make your title look worthless. It's a bad thing to do when your other title holder is now Brock Lesnar, who we're not going to see again till the week before Saudi Arabia. Then we won't see again to Survivor Series. Then we won't see again to Royal Rumble. Then we won't see again to the build-up to Mania. You killed one title by having the Fiend kill Seth, and you killed the other title by putting it on Brock. WWE, you don't seem to understand what you're doing anymore. And I don't know if it is Vince McMahon. I don't know if it is Paul Heyman or if it's Eric Bischoff or if it's some combination of these three men who built an empire in the 90s and are too old to keep it alive today. I don't know if that's what it is. But whatever it is, you figure it out by the Royal Rumble because that's when I'll be back. I'm done with Raw and I'm done with with SmackDown. I definitely wasn't watching the Saudi Arabia show. I've got tickets to Survivor Series, and if you need a pair, I'll cut you a good deal. I'm not going. I'm done with main roster WWE until the Royal Rumble. It's a quality issue. It's not because Brock's the champion. I have been a big supporter of Brock as the champion when it made sense. It's not because Seth's the champion. Seth has done some good things as champion. It's because it doesn't seem like they understand what is good and bad anymore. And I'm not going to support that. And if you say, well, are you going to cancel the network? No, I'm not. Because on the network, I can watch Nitros, which is what I do for this show. On the network, I can watch NXT and NXT UK if I so choose. On the network, I can watch the Chronicle specials, which shows they still know how to make good things. But I'm not watching Raw or SmackDown again. Until the Royal Rumble. And and that's just the way it is. Let's hear a few words from my buddies over at WrestleAttic Radio, and I swear we'll come back with something a lot more positive than the first half of this show. 
What up, fam? It's your boy, J.C. Bones. And I'm Johnny Smarts in the house. And it's me, the gloriously handsome Doc Haas. And we are the 4th Wall WrestleCast. Starting January 5th, you can find us on the Wrestle Addict Radio Network on rantwithant.com. Come be a part of the biggest draw for the critics, the marks, the casual, and the hardcore. What is going on, everybody? This is your resident Universal Royalty King, Ricky Rosé, speaking. And if you like what you're listening to right now, I want to invite you guys to check out my wrestling show, The Kings of the Rings Podcast, coming out with a new episode each and every Friday right here on Wrestle Addict Radio. You don't want to miss it. Buzz, buzz, guys. My name is Kate Murphy of The Kings of the Ring Podcast, and you are listening to Wrestle Addict Radio. And I'm back. No less hot under the collar, but we're going to talk about AW and NXT from last week. And by now, you've been inundated with full reviews of the show, and there's no need for me to do that. Um, but I'm introducing what was supposed to be the new opening segment to this show to replace the top five of NXT with something I'm calling the Triple W. Who won Wednesdays? That's going to be the main event here tonight, but most weeks, this will be your opening segment going into the Nitro review. I'm going to have so much time. To watch Nitros now. I'm going to have so much time to work on. That's the thing about these, about giving up on these other two shows. I invest. This week especially. I've invested three, two, two, two. So that, that there's 11. And uh, the pay-per-view. Which granted if I had to watch the whole thing it would have been four. So I had the potential of investing 15 hours of my life this week into wrestling. I only actually invest about 11 and a half. That's not the point. The point is, I'm giving up five hours of my week every week to shows that are legitimately terrible. There's a bright spot here and there, but there's a lot of crap on these shows, and I dread watching these shows. I'm working on a book. I'm working on a couple, if I'm being real honest. I I, want to write books. I'm going to have more time for that. I have a family. I have four people in this house who I love and want to spend time with. I have more time for that now. I have a father who, I, who when he asks me about wrestling, I'm saying, on Wednesday, let's watch this instead. I have so much I could do aside from watching bad wrestling and I'm not going to do it. So I'm taking back my Monday nights. I'm taking back my Friday nights. You know, uh, Friday nights are for Dungeons and Dragons. MJF, you can suck it. We'll get to that. Monday nights, I'm going to spend time with my family. We're going to watch Dancing with the Stars or we're going to watch movies or we're going to do something besides everyone sits in the living room and I sit in the bedroom and watch Raw. So thank you, WWE, for that. Thank you for giving me back my Monday nights and my Friday nights. I guess I wasn't as done with this as I thought. I swear, I'm putting a cap on this. We're going to talk about the good stuff. Who won wrestling? The triple W's. We're going to talk about this. I've built a scoring system to accurately determine by my own uh, perception which show was better each Week now, in the ratings, AEW slaughtered NXT. That's going to happen. It was the preview. It was the premiere show. 
we'll see how it goes from here. I'm hoping that we build up both of these brands where there are a hundred, there are 1.5 million people watching both shows. And and we get some great Wednesday night wrestling. I hope that in 20 years there are people doing whatever the 2030, not holy crap, I'm going to be in my 50s then. Regardless, I'm hoping in 20 years there's people doing whatever the 2030s version of podcasting is about the Wednesday night war era when these two companies went head to head and made wrestling great again. Let's just say that. The hell with it. I just said it. I hope Wednesday nights win, and I hope Friday and Mondays lose. That's what I hope. And this was going to be written on the website, but I'll be real honest. I want to talk about it. So I got a scoring system. I have, uh, I have an art. I have a full set of notes here, and let's talk about who won Wednesdays. Episode one, the opening shots. They the Wednesday Night Wars have become have begun, and, and to be honest, both shows came out of the gate swinging. I mean, NXT was already established; they knew what it was doing. But AEW, we didn't know what to expect. But they came out of the box swinging. But who was the winner? That's what we're going to talk about. The scoring system is this. I will award three point or one point for three categories. One, match of the night for both shows. I will pick out the best match on each show and compare those two matches. Whichever show had the better best match will get a point. I'll pick out the best women's match. And sometimes the women's match is going to be the best match and it's going to fall into both categories. Does that seem unfair at the time? Maybe. But so be it. The winner of that matchup will get a point, and then the best tag match. And sometimes the be- the tag match will be the best match, and that still will be just fine. But then there will be a bonus round where anything that I f- that I like, I'll award the show a point, or anything that I really hate, I'll award the other show a point. And when all is said and done, whoever has the most points each week will win the Wednesday. And I hope this segment goes on as long as this show goes on. And if I decide to come back, or then I'll keep the show going. And actually, when I give up the Gift Podcast, I'm going to keep writing Who Won Wednesdays. Because I care about these shows. But let's get into the very first one, the opening shots. Match of the Night. Both shows put their Match of the Night first. It's not often that the greatest wrestlers jerk the curtain, but I think both shows knew they had to come out of the box swinging, and they did. Uh, Let's talk AEW. Cody versus Sammy Guevara. This match was really, really good. This is possibly the best AEW match I've seen. It's definitely the best AEW-Cody match I've seen. Um, They got into it. It saw... Huge top rope moves like uh, Cody hitting a reverse gourd buster that Sammy Guevara didn't flip for until the last possible second without breaking his neck, but he came out okay. I'm gonna give uh, I'm gonna give him credit for that. He hit a massive super Spanish fly on Cody that always looks cool. Brandy got involved. Sammy pulled her in the way of a tope suicida from Cody. She took the bump like a champ. She actually hit her head on the back of the guardrail. She'd get, she'd get her receipt, though, on Sammy. She would hit him with a shoe 
later on that would give Cody the advantage, and Cody would get the knees up on Sammy's shooting star press and hit that unbreakable small package on Sammy Guevara and win the match. They went about 11 minutes. It was pretty good. I really enjoyed it. But they're not going to win match of the night this this week because the NXT title match was outstanding. It was nearly flawless. It was Matt Riddle and Adam Cole, and there's no way I can recap it properly. Somebody else already has, I'm sure, this week. But Riddle kept trying to go for his arm bar and mixed martial arts strikes and, and use his strengths. And Adam Cole was countering him with as many kicks and Panama Sunrises and, and Ushiguroshis as possible. And at one point, they went for about 90 seconds just flying and flipping and hitting moves and popping up and hitting moves. Have you ever seen those Ricochet and Will Ospreay matches where they're constantly flipping and whatnot? It was like that, except they were doing it with wrestling moves and not just acrobatics. And, and, and I had problems with those matches then. I don't have problems with this because they were actually hitting wrestling moves on one another the whole time. And it was outstanding. Adam Cole would not need the Undisputed Era to interfere with him, but he would use the cast. The cast that Matt Riddle caused him to have by putting him in that armbar last week to hit... He, he would hit Riddle with the cast. Riddle would get would get a little light, lightheaded from the hit, and Adam Cole would hit the last shot and retain the title. I mean... I don't put any stock into Dave Meltzer's ratings, but I really would like to go and see if Dave gave this five stars because if he didn't, I want to know what they possibly did wrong. But this was a phenomenal, beautiful, amazing match, and the point goes to NXT without a doubt. Women's Wrestling. NXT put up two women's matches, and I'm only going to take what I consider to be the better of the two, but let's talk about both of them. Mia Yim and Io Shirai put in a good match. It, it, it was one of her best, it was one of Yim's best WWE matches, period. Um, including her May Young matches, including all the matches she had with Shayna. With her match with Io here was fantastic, but she would lose the moonsault. But I'm going to rank this one off of the NXT women's title match between Candice LeRae and and Shayna Baszler. Uh, and it's kind of the same story. Shayna's targeting Candice's arm. Uh, she she stuck it in the ring steps and then kicked it back. It was the most brutal arm injury since Dakota Kai getting her arm stomped by Shayna earlier this year. Um, Candice would rely on her flying, on her speed. She would drop Shayna on the outside. She would hit the three topes. She would hit uh, the apron drop. She would even hit the Mr. Toe's Wild Ride for a near fault that I really thought she had won the title on. But she didn't. Shayna would lock in the clutch. And Candice would fight, but she would tap out. And that's my only real problem with this match, is that I think it should have been Shayna's time to lose. But she didn't. On the flip side of the coin... You had the first ever AEW Women's Championship match between Nyla Rose and Rio. I didn't have a lot of faith in Nyla Rose because she's green. She's not as as skilled a wrestler as Rio or as Candice or as Shayna. 
She has less experience. She has less big stage experience. And I was surprised. She was the proper heel monster that Rio needed to make this match great. She kept it to simple beatdowns, except when she didn't. She stacked up chairs. She laid Rio on them, and she went for a flip senton onto it on the floor. And Rio moved, and, and it worked. She hit... She laid Rio out across the ropes and hit a diving knee that looked like it tore this 90-pound girl in half. And then Rio would get up and she would take advantage of, a miss, of, of that senton being missed on the outside and she would make her comeback. She would weaken up Nyla's back and she would get Nyla to the top and this itty-bitty girl would hit a superplex on the massive Nyla Rose and then the big double stomp, which for Rio isn't that big of a big double stomp, and pin her and win the title. I'm going to get hate for this. I'm giving the point to AEW. Yes, Shayna and Candice were, were more gifted technically in the ring. But the story was better in AEW. David and Goliath is always a better story. Win, win. Huge asterisks when David wins. When Goliath wins the story, there's no miracle. If in the actual David and Goliath, Goliath won, they wouldn't even have made the Bible. With Rio beating Nyla, AW gets the point. And I also want to, and you're saying, and for those of you wondering, yeah, I'm giving this the point partially because of the representation that it gives two women of color, one of them a trans woman. That's big. That alone could give them the point, but they told a better story. And so they get the point tag team wrestling. Well, AEW's main event was a six man tag of craziness. It was insane. And I, I'll do my best to recap as much as I can. But I don't remember very much from the match itself. I just remembered all the nonsense. And we'll talk about some of the nonsense here and some of the bonus round. But midway through the match, John Moxley appears out of freaking nowhere, grabs Kenny Omega, drags him up into the VIP section, and gives him the, the what does he call it? The Death Rider through a glass top table. This looked like this was a very WCW thing to do. But it fit here, and it fit the craziness that is John Moxley, and it fit where we're going with that storyline. So I really, calling it a WWE thing to do here is my attempt at a compliment. The match itself was a flurry of dives by Santana and Ortiz and the Bucks, broken up by the occasional super kick or lion tamer or lion salt. And it, the match lost some importance. To the nuttiness around it. I give it that. But it was a great match. And Jericho would pin one of the Bucks. And forgive me. I think it was Matt. With the Judas elbow. The Judas effect elbow. Really fun match. NXT would deliver uh, the Undisputed Era and the Street Profits in a rematch for their tag, for their tag titles. Um, Montez Ford is going to be the man one day. Big and small of it. The man can fly. The man can talk. The man can move. And when the time comes, he can get the crap kicked out of him and you want him to make a comeback or you want him to tag Angelo Dawkins. The Undisputed Era are fantastic heels. They get in there, they can fly and dive, but when it's their time to just boot somebody a bunch to make them look like the bigger bad guy, they do that. 
Angelo Dawkins plays his part as the big man adequately. He's not the best of the four. He's probably the worst of the four, but he still did a job fine. And on the verge of defeat, it would be Roderick Strong that would come in and distract Angelo Dawkins so that Fish and O'Reilly could hit total elimination on Montez Ford and retain the titles. Both matches are good. Both matches had interference. Both matches had a lot of flash. But NXT gets the point because the match itself meant more than the craziness around it. So NXT is up 2-1 to one going into the bonus round. The bonus round works is if I find something I like, I'm just going to give the points out. I give AEW a point because wrestling has returned to TNT. Love that. There's a choice now. And thank God because WWE screwed the pooch this week. There's a choice. I choose AEW. It's it's nice. It is a nice kind of a it's like a comfort food. It's it's another it's AEW on TNT. Speaking of a comfort food, Tony Schiavone is calling wrestling on television again. Tony freaking Schiavone. The voice of my childhood in wrestling. I've been watching these nitros. And the first time I turned one on and I heard Tony Schiavone's once, I had this, this rush of being 10 years old and watching Nitro and hearing that voice every week. Welcome to WCW Monday Nitro. And now I get that welcome to AEW on TNT. It meant a lot to me. Tony Schiavone scores a point for AEW. But bonus points for NXT, Finn Balor returns to NXT. Adam Cole is still in the ring. He has defeated Matt Riddle. He is sweaty. He is a mess, but he is the champion. And Finn Balor's music would hit. And Finn would stroll out. He would do the arm thing. He'd get in the ring, and he would pretty much just say Finn Balor is NXT. That's big because it shows that WWE is investing some of their stars in NXT. Hopefully, Finn will actually be in NXT for a while. I think it would be better for Finn. Um, there's a lot more space for him to to fight for the title there, to be a big star there. I think it's good for Finn to be back on NXT. Wale wrapped the Street Profits to the ring. And while that may not sound like a lot to you, I love Wale. He's a big wrestling fan. He's, he's a lot of fun. I'm going to take the point for NXT there. Jake Hager joined up with Jericho, Santana, Ortiz, and Sammy Guevara after the main event. Jake Hager, Jack Swagger, if you're not in the know, showed up. He would powerbomb one of the Bucks into a table that did not break. That looked like it sucked. They got the timekeeper's table. They did not get a table table. I don't know if they thought this was, Whatever it was, Jake Hager shows up. This heel stable of Jericho, Guevara, Hager, and Ortiz and Santana. Wow. It's just, it's going to be big. They might be the NWO style for AEW. Hopefully don't screw it up. But right now, they look like a dominant force. Ciampa. Tommaso Ciampa. At the end of the night of NXT. The Undisputed Era. Roddy, Fish, and O'Reilly are in the ring with third belts. Adam Cole steps out with his belt. They hold him up high. The Golden Quartet has their salute. And Ciampa's music hit. And you just see Adam Cole's face drop. Ciampa comes out. He is staring not at Adam Cole, but at Goldie. He's staring at the NXT title belt. He wants it back because he 
never lost it. And not until Adam Cole lifts it up to his own face does Ciampa even realize somebody's holding it. If we're going to get Ciampa versus Finn for number one contender match and then the winner of that taking on Adam Cole at TakeOver whenever, I'm down with that. That's going to be good. I like it. Thank you, NXT. And now some points for um, not good things. I'm giving AEW a point because Mauro Ronaldo, who I do consider one of the great wrestling announcers in the world today, had to shill for the Purge TV show for Temptation Island on USA. He had to do it every commercial break, and I just couldn't get past it. You are wasting Mauro Ronaldo, and for that, I'm giving your competition a point. And then I'm giving NXT a point. Because Angelico and Jack Evans had a confrontation with Jay and Silent Bob. Jason Muse and and Kevin Smith are in the front row. And I remember saying to my friend Jackie, is that Kevin Smith? And, and so it was. They get in the ring together. Or excuse me, not the ring. They're out ringside together. And they're just in their faces. They're just in their faces. And Jay and Silent Bob are not backing down. They should be scared of wrestlers, but they're not. That irks me just enough to give another point to NXT. So we do the math. We do the math. And the final score for week one, NXT 6, AEW 5. Week one goes to NXT. AEW was not a bad show by any means, but Cole and Riddle could have carried this competition on their back by themselves. Next week... On NXT, we've got Kushida and Walter in a match I'm really looking forward to. Drew Gulak and Leo Rush in a match that should be great. And on AEW, who knows? They haven't announced anything. But I know we're starting the tag tournament, so that should be good there. Week 1, Triple W, we're giving the win to NXT. We'll see how it goes next week. This has been the Gift Podcast. I am the Monday Night Delight, and I will say this. I'm in a better mood now than I was 40 minutes ago. I had to do the show tonight because I was in a rage and pacing through my house. So thank you for indulging me this uh, nightmare of a show. We'll be back next week. Triple W in the first segment, Nitro in the second segment. Check out me on Twitter at Gift Podcast. Won't be live tweeting Raw Smackdown for a while, but I will be there on Wednesday night. Check out the Kings of the Ring podcast, Not Your Mama's so- uh, Soap Opera, the Fourth Wall Wrestlecast, and the Re- and the Game Changer podcast. Check us all out there. Go to our Patreon.com slash uh, WrestleAct Radio for $5. You get to be a part of a network of shows, extra shows there, and our network shows here. And uh, I'll come back next week. And We'll talk about more fun stuff, I promise. Have a good night.